I used to attend a church as, as a kid. Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like church much at all until I was actually in high school after I had left the church because my experience in church was so negative. Uh, I remember all sorts of things about going to church. My family uh, was very... We, we went to church because that was the thing you kind of did in the United States at that time, and so if you wanted to be kind of an upstanding family, you went to church, but we were never really committed to one particular church for a, a number of years when I was young. I remember going to several different churches when I was a little guy. Um, we used to figure out which church we were going to that weekend, my sister and I, because the sermons were always really boring at all the churches, and we'd have to sit there and we'd look at the ceiling and count the tiles, because what else are you going to do? And we used to ask our parents afterwards, are we going to the 30-tile church or the 60-tile church or the, what, how, what's, the, what's the tile church we're going to? And when the sermons are really boring, you, like, what do you do? You've got to sit there as a kid and you're trying to figure stuff out. And so, you, you know, you, you try to come up with games that you play. My sister and I used to sit next to each other and hit each other and make, make up games. My mother said, stop, gave us pencils to play tic-tac-toe, which, if you know, tic-tac-toe lasts like two minutes of its interest, you realize, oh, nobody's ever going to win this. And so then you take the pencils and figure out, what, could, what else can we do with these pencils? And so my sister and I used to sit in the back and we used to throw the pencils up to the ceiling to see if they would stick. Do you ever been in school and done this? Those of, the rest of, those of you who along with me have been to the principal's office, you know full well what I'm talking about, where you throw the pencil and it sticks and you're like, yes! But... Uh, my mom would stop us from doing that. I remember I had to wear an itchy sweater every, every week. Uh, I had a church sweater. Uh, I remember it was brown and had a white stripe right here, and it was, came directly off the back of a sheep, I'm sure, because it honestly was the itchiest thing ever. All I wanted to do is be home and take this stupid sweater off. I was happy on the warm weekends because you could take this, Mom, I got to take my sweater off. And she said, oh, fine, you know, and then you could wear your T-shirt. But you always had to impress God with a nice T-shirt and stuff, uh, even underneath your sweater. I remember uh, the positive side of church for me was the, was the juice at the end. See, when I went to church um, at these different churches, uh, they, would, they would have uh, juice and maybe a cookie at the end in the back of the service. And the juice was always in one of those McDonald's buckets. Do you guys, if you're my age, you know that there's a, there was a kind of bucket, a yellow bucket with a red top that used to have, that was like a signal that we got this juice from McDonald's, which is the nectar of the gods. That juice from McDonald's was amazing. It was all sugar. Uh, and so you'd be excited if you saw the juice, the McDonald's juice in the back and You'd go to the church and you'd put up with all the stuff and you'd put up with the pencils and the ceiling, tic-tac-toe and the itchy sweater so that you'd go get the juice at the end, but then you'd go to the back, you'd fill your cup with the juice and you'd drink it and you'd realize in that moment that every church person is cheap because they usually dilute the great nectar of the gods, two parts water and one part God nectar, and it was horrible. Stupid church, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just got to the point where I just didn't want to go anymore when I was in high school. If I, once I got a chance not to be part of it anymore, I, I didn't. Philip Yancey, actually, in his book, Church, Why Bother? It's a book that was published a lot of years ago now, but um, he, he described his experience in church that was similar somewhat to mine. He said, I discovered that the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning was oddly unlike any other hour in the week. At no other time did I sit for 30 or 40 minutes in a straight-back chair and listen to someone lecture me. At no other time did I sing songs written one or two centuries ago. 
I identified with one of Flannery O'Connor's in-laws who started attending church because according to O'Connor, the service was, quote, so horrible he knew there must be something else there to make people come. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I just wanted to stay home and watch football. So why not stay home and watch football? Why, I mean, why come to church? Why not uh, go and make waffles and, and sit with your coffee looking out of the back of your, your house to, whatever, to, whatever, to whatever's there? Why not just ride your bike, do something like that? So a lot of people who, who aren't Christians, that's precisely their opinion. Now, why in the world would I go to church? But even Christians now, that's their attitude as well. I mean, Chris, nowadays, if you're a Christian, you actually can cobble together your own little personalized church service from the best, you know, podcast preacher you can find, and then you put together, you know, your favorite song. You don't have to listen to the dumb song someone else chose for you. You can go on Apple Music and you make your own little playlist, and it'll be just you, the computer and Jesus, perfect, right? Don't have to deal with anybody else at the park. You can sit there in your bathrobe. Why, why, not, why not just do this? Some of you right now are going like, yeah, this is a good point. <laughs> the best sermon I've ever heard. Why bother with actual, actual church? This week we're taking a break from our series in the book of Romans because we, I don't know, we went three weeks and we're just exhausted, so we got to stop, you know. But we, want, we actually want to take a little bit of time over this Thanksgiving weekend to uh, give you an idea as to what we're about as a church. Like, what, what are we going to be doing from now until we hope when Christ comes? What is the thing that lights our fire? What do we feel like God has called us to do and be in Canada in 2019 till whatever? So I want to answer that question. This sermon is going to build to that culminating answer, but in order to get there, I want to answer the question, why are healthy churches necessary? Our church believes that it's through healthy churches that communities are reached, it's through healthy churches that disciples are made, it's through healthy churches that people continue to follow Jesus for all their days. So why, why are healthy churches necessary Going forward, why do we need to multiply them? That kind of thing. So three answers. I just kind of gave them to you, the answers that I want to give. Usually we take a passage of Scripture and we explain it from top to bottom and walk with that one passage of Scripture. Today we're going to kind of be all over the Bible because I want to make three big points. First, I believe that healthy churches are necessary for healthy discipleship. Second, I think healthy churches are necessary for lifelong perseverance. And third, healthy churches are necessary for transformed cities. So I'll say, say those again. Healthy churches are necessary for healthy discipleship, lifelong perseverance, and transformed cities. So we're going to walk through. It'll be kind of like that's our outline. So here's the first of those, okay? Healthy churches are necessary for healthy discipleship. So I told you to turn to Acts 2, verse 42. Here's what that says. So, so the background to this passage of Scripture is that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and uh, he has sent his Holy Spirit that has actually descended upon the disciples such that there were all sorts of people around who spoke different languages and couldn't understand them, but the disciples were given the ability to speak those languages to those people to explain the gospel, explain the, the truth about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and what it means. You can have life with God 
for eternity. Your sins can be forgiven if you repent and believe the gospel. So they're explaining this message to these people in their own language. Of course, if somebody came along and started explaining that kind of thing in your language, and you were, say, in Germany or something, you'd be like, whoa, how are these backwater people, because that's who they were, these disciples, how are they explaining this message in my language? And so you people gathered all around. And Peter, he speaks up and he starts preaching this sermon. And in his sermon, he explains the truth about Jesus. And after that's done, the, the, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, wants to describe what the early church life is like. At the very get-go, what did these guys focus on? So he tells us in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were, and here's the word that I want you to focus on, all right, because it shows up over and over again here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's really interesting. There's a lot of things that you could say about that passage. But one of the big things you could say is in the early church, when they first came to faith in Jesus, these disciples didn't go, thanks, preachers, and then go off to their own little location, sit in a room and say, I hope podcasts come along soon. Like it was paramount for them to stick together, to be around each other, to hear the apostles teaching together, to pray together, to break bread in each other's homes together. In fact, they did it every day then. And you find that pattern, actually, as you go through the, the rest of the book of Acts. Guys, guys like Paul, missionaries like Paul, go into a town where there aren't any Christians. So he goes to the synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And he preaches there. And he says, listen, you guys need to know our Messiah has come. And some people believe that. Some Jews and other people who are Gentiles are kind of on the edge of the community there. They believe it too. And then he goes and preaches in the city and he gathers some people from the city and he shoves them all together in a local church that traditionally ended up meeting. I mean, it was every day, but eventually ended up meeting one time a week on what they called the Lord's Day, Sunday, because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. So they celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single week, not just Easter, every single week they gather together. Why together? Why is it so important to be together, physically be together? The answer to that question, I think, actually comes in Ephesians 4, verse 11, when Paul's actually describing how the church functions. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... He's instituted churches that have these people in them, these gifted people, to equip his people for works of service. Leaders equip the people for works of service. Why? So that God, or so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That word built up, it's a, it's a word actually in Greek, it's the original language that this was written in, that has the... It has the, the word house in it. Greek word oikos is right in there. So Paul, Paul's trying to conjure up image in your mind. He's saying what God's doing is he's building a house. 
And when you and I picture that nowadays, we're like, oh, okay, so he's like tilt-up construction, right? Like a wood frame or whatever. He's hammering stuff in. No, 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 no. The way that they used to build houses is very different than now. They used to build houses with rocks and some bricks. The rocks they used to use were often not smooth, so they would go out and they'd pick out a rock. You're building your house. You'd pick out a rock there and you'd pick it up and, you know, one side of it might be flat, but the other side is wonky. So you, you take a pick and you pick that rock off and you get it as flat as you can. Maybe use something to sand it down somehow. You get it as flat as you can. And you take that rock and you plop it into the section of the house that you think it fits best and then you put the goo on it, you know, I'm really skilled laborer, right? Like you put the goo on it and then you take the other rock and it doesn't quite fit, but then you shave it off and you put the next one and this brick over here, this side is not quite right. And you, you end up building up, you end up building up this house. What Paul, what Paul is saying is that this is what God is doing. So yes, listen, it is true that God, you individual people are rocks that God has chosen. He has called out, he's pulled out and you have wonky bits on you. And so he starts to shave those things off, and you wondered what, what he was doing in your life, right? Because that hurts sometimes. You're like, I like that wonky bit. Tough. We've got to shave that off. We've got to sanctify you. That word means to, we need to set you apart and make you special for this work that I have for you in the church. We're going to shave that off so that you can fit into this bigger building. So it's, I'm, I, yes, it is true that he's making you into a trophy of his grace, but it's a trophy that's going to fit into larger buildings. So that the whole church may be, may be built up. And here's the key. The implement that he uses to shave, up your, shave off your wonkiness is other Christians. The Ezra's among us. <laughs> right? Those people that just grate on, you know, they just get on, grate on you. But without them, you'll just remain wonky. You ever been uh, up in the mountains? You go high up in the mountains and you go to a stream. My kids like to, to skip rocks and they were little. Every once in a while we go for a hike up in Mount Baker or Whistler or something at my wife's request, right? Because hiking, uh. So <laughs> you go up to the mountains and you, you get into the near the stream and you're like, oh, and maybe there's a lake up there and you start, the stream goes into and you're looking for rocks and you pick up some rocks, have you know, they're, always, they're always wonky. They're always like jagged and whatever. And you might find one that has a flat bottom and then you pick it up and you try to skip it and it does like two skips. This doesn't work as well. But then if you go down to the seashore, you know, maybe to the mouth of the river where the rock ends up, you know, after a millennia or whatever, ends up at the bottom of that thing, you show up and there's the rock and the rock is smooth, totally smooth. You want to skip rocks, you go to the seashore, you go to places on the white rock. You pick this stuff up and they're all smooth and you just start skipping them across. They skip like 20 times across there. Why are they so smooth here and why are they so rough up there? And of course your geology teachers would be saying, well this is, this is the process of erosion of the rocks. That rock comes from the top. It, you know, shelves off or somehow it comes off of a, of a mountain. It gets into the stream because the water washes it down. When it's up there, it eventually has other rocks rubbing up against it and then it gets carried down the stream and then the sand starts rubbing up against it and eventually it just gets shaved off so it's perfectly smooth by the time that it gets to the bottom. 
This is a lovely picture of what church is doing to you. Right? Like, God has a plan for you, and that is to sanctify you, that is to make you holy, to make you into Christ, and the means by which he's doing it is your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're never around them, if you're not in the stream, it won't happen. It won't happen. Your discipleship, your followership will be truncated. It'll be cut off at the legs because you're not here. Yeah, but me and Jesus, Jesus will do it. Yeah, he'd be cutting off the means by which he's going to do it. Well, I'm going to get together with only people I like at the pub or at the coffee shop, and that'll be our church. They're not going to, there's no Ezra in that group. <laughs> you, need, you need them. You need, you need us. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't you come? Healthy churches are necessary for healthy discipleship. Second, healthy churches are necessary for lifelong perseverance. All right, little, little theological question that I have asked before from this spot, but I'll ask again. What happens, or what do we say will happen to those who fall away from the faith? So, so biblically, I'm asking the question, if you go to the Bible and you ask the Bible the question, all right, what happens if somebody starts following Jesus and then they stop at some point and turn away from him never, never to come back? When they stand before God, will they hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of our master, or depart from me, I never knew you? Or something else. What, what do we say that the Bible says about that? Well, actually, the Bible has some answers. This is a really, like, appropriate question, especially in our day and age. I was, was a pastor I know of who actually is from, I think, Virginia, and he came to Regent College here, and he was pastor, multi, like mega church pastor from Virginia, came to Regent College, went through his degree here at Regent College, and then he just months ago walked away from the faith. Said, I'm not a Christian anymore. Okay, wait a minute. What do we say about that person then? Wait a minute. What? Like, you should be the one who really is a Christian after all of that. You preached to people. You learned all the theology, and now you're saying, I'm done? And if you don't repent, well, like, what do, what do, we, what do we think the Bible says about that person? Actually, surprisingly, the scriptures are really quite clear on this one. Um, Colossians 1, 21. Uh, this is a description of... of how you came to faith in Jesus, basically Paul looking back and saying, hey, this is what you used to be and this is what you are now, okay? Once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, you didn't come to faith in Jesus, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Right? He's shaving you off so he can put you into his, his masterpiece house. And all that is true about you if you continue in your faith. Established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If. Oh, come on, that's a hard word. Okay, try on Hebrews 3, 14. We have come to share in Christ if, 
Indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Like, like you're a gen, you say, well, but I'm a genuine Christian, right? I believe in stuff. Yes, that's fantastic, and I affirm you in that, and that's great. And it's true about you if you continue. And we can debate about, okay, if, what if you don't continue? Does that mean you lost your salvation? Or if you don't continue, does it mean you never had it? Fine, let's have that debate. Not now. But either way, you're not, you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus anymore. And you shouldn't expect to hear anything from him other than depart from me. So when the Apostle Paul comes back to some churches, like he goes and he preaches the gospel, and many of them come to faith in Christ, and then he goes away, and then he comes back. The content of his message to them, when he comes back for his visit, is about persevering. Listen, Acts 14, verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city, won a large number of disciples, and then they returned to Lystra, where they'd already preached. Iconium and Antioch, and they talked to the churches there, strengthening the disciples, and and here's the content of what he said, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. What's happened to you people, he says, is true if you continue. It's through many hardships that we enter the kingdom of God, ultimately. Well, what if I ditch in the middle of the hardship? Well, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So the point that I'm making here, theologically anyway, is that those who fall away from the faith are not saved. Perseverance, so I'm clear, perseverance is a necessary part of ultimate Salvation. You know, you know what the nature of saving faith is? Uh, somebody who is a genuine Christian is somebody who professes the Lord Jesus Christ, right? They, they believe on him for salvation. That profession works itself out in their practice, meaning that it's not just words, but you can see it in their lives, and they persevere in their profession and practice until their last day. That's what the Bible says is a genuine believer. So that raises the question then. It, if there's all to play for, like if the ifs are right, how do we avoid this? How does it happen anyway? How do, you, how do, how do people fall away? Do they just wake up on a Tuesday and be like, I'm done? Well, the Bible also answers that question. Hebrews 2, listen to the language of this verse. Very revealing. Hebrews 2, verse 1. We we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we don't drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape? You know, we who've heard about the gospel, which is great, much greater than the the law of the Old Testament. How could we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Do you see that language of it? We have to pay more careful attention. We, we have to not ignore the message so that we don't drift away. That language of drift away, isn't that, isn't that great? You've drifted away before. I mean, not from the faith. I mean, you, you've drifted away in the ocean, haven't you? Of course you have. Like, you're from Manitoba, and you show up to the ocean, and you're like, oh, it's an ocean! Run into the ocean. 
And you get in there, take a picture, take a picture, take a picture, right? And the waves are coming down, and you're like, I'm going to surf these waves. And you do it, and you get sand everywhere. And you're out there for half an hour? 45 minutes? I don't know. You don't know. You never know. Oh, I'm tired. I've got sand in places I don't have places, so I'm, I'm getting out. So you climb up on the beach, and you stand there, and you're excited. You'd see this group of people who look like the people that you came with, you know, your family, your friends, or whatever, and you walk up to them, and they're not your parents or family or friends, or they're nobody. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, the rapture happened, right? Or my parents finally left me, you know, or whatever. They and you're like, where is everybody? Oh, my, what happened here? And you look up and down the beach, and finally you look down the beach, and you see, well, maybe that's them. And so you start walking, maybe 300 meters, 500, whatever. And you walk all the way down there. And you get to them, and you say, why did you guys move? And they say, we didn't move. You did. When? When you weren't paying attention. You just sort of, you just sort of drifted away. The riptide sort of took you that way. Yeah, and that's how it happens. That's what people walk away from the faith, is that they don't pay more careful attention to the message that has been preached that we hold on to. They're not constantly reminded of the message, and instead they keep, stay away from places where they can hear the message, and then they, they, they end up drifting away. If only, if only there were a place that you could go and be regularly reminded of this message over and over again and have like a pastor who jumps up and down and screams, Love Jesus for all your days. Imagine you could go to some place like that every week. That would be cool. <laughs> and it would probably keep you paying more careful attention so that you don't drift away. I mean, the Bible says this. Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. How are you going to avoid falling away so that you are called an enemy of God. Well, don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But encourage one another. Where are you going to do that? Where are you going to be encouraged and encourage one another? Together. So uh, I rode my, rode my bike this last year to our pastor and elders retreat, which is in Bellingham, so about 50 kilometers away. For the other guys I ride with, other pastors that I ride with, and some, some elders, they, they're like, that's like an evening stroll, 50, 50 Ks. I did that last night in 20 minutes. For me, that is a long, what in the world? That is a long ride, okay? So anyway, we, we go. Uh, I can only ever keep up with them if I ride in the pack, right, in the peloton. There's a group of guys, and I always position myself behind the two widest dudes there, and I kind of hide back there so that I get dragged along with them. And they go really fast for, my, for me. They're like, oh, this is too slow. And I'm like, oh, I'm just pushing, pushing, pushing. But eventually we end up getting to the hills and the gravity is an issue, as I've said before. And so we end up getting 
you know, going up the hill and they end up breaking off from me and they go way further ahead. And there I am all alone at the back. I have noticed that it's in the moments where I'm all alone in the back that I start wondering whether or not this is a good idea at all. And thinking to myself, where is the nearest Dairy Queen? Is there a bus that goes by here that I could ride on and wave at them as I go up the hill? But then there's a guy who, who's part of the group. He comes back. His name's Mark. He's the only one who comes back because the others don't love God. <laughs> so he comes back and he rides in front of me. He's riding his mountain bike. He's a big biker, you know, like super thin, just cut, just muscles everywhere, and he's riding his mountain bike. He's not, he's not even breathing hard. He's having conversations about the nature of Immanuel Kant's noetic view of what he's like. You're riding along. Let's talk about your life, Jeff. I'm going up the hill. <laughs> How are you doing? How's your family? Tell me about your kids. You know, shut up, Mark. I hate you. Right? <laughs> but he's there with me, and he helps me. He helps me get up the hill. And that's the way it works. When you have other people with you, you can ride the hills. You can keep going. If they're rubbing together next to you, you can make it. The velociraptors always pick off the last guy. <laughs> so why would you do this? Listen, if God has given you the local church as the means by which you're going to keep in the faith, why would you sever your relationship with it? If that is his ordained means to keep you, he's saying, listen, I have a gift for you. This gift is going to keep you following me until your final days. Why would you sever your relationship with it? And wouldn't you be in great, great danger if you were in a location where there were no healthy churches to help you that way? Healthy churches are necessary for lifelong perseverance. Last one. Healthy churches are necessary for transformed Cities. The language that the scriptures use to talk about Christians is really interesting in several points. It talks about us as citizens of another land. It talks about us as uh, uh, foreigners and aliens. So like we're from another place and we have been dropped into this place and so our citizenship is somewhere else, but we're actually foreigners and aliens amidst the kingdoms of darkness. Kingdoms of light being dropped in in kingdoms of darkness. So you get language like this. Philippians 3 verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See, live such good lives among the pagans, meaning among the people who are living in the kingdoms of darkness and under their authority. Live such good lives among them that though they accuse you of doing wrong, right? They misunderstand who you are or what you're like. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You've been dropped into this kingdom and you meet together in this group. It's like an embassy. You come together and they teach you about kingdom values and who Jesus is and they spray you with the Jesus smell and then you kind of go out and scatter into the world and you bring that aroma with you. Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert in their wonderful little book, What is the Mission of the Church? They, they say it similarly. They say the church acts as a sort of embassy for the government of the king. It's, a, it's an outpost of the kingdom of God surrounded by the kingdom of, dar of darkness. And just as the embassy of a nation is meant, at least in part, to showcase the life of that nation to the surrounding people, 
So the church is meant to manifest the life of the kingdom of God to the world around us. If you wanted to make a deep impact into the culture of the United States, you could attack them or you could subvert them by, by placing little Canadian enclaves, little embassies down there where Canadians get together and interrelate and the interrelations they have would be so far superior <laughs> to the Americans that they would say, oh my goodness, I, would, I, I think we want to be a part of you. You would go out, you'd spread the aroma of Canada everywhere. And they would say, I want, I want that. This is what God is doing. Along those lines, I do have to tell you a quick story, okay? This last week, I was, um, I was in Linden. My family lives in Linden, American. Uh, love going down to the United States. We shop at Safeway sometimes down there in Linden. And so we went down. I went down there, and I was buying some. They have some drinks there, like Diet, uh, diet uh, Cherry Pepsi, which is amazing. And so I'm buying the cases of that to bring back here, so I'm buying these cases, and I picked them out of my cart, and I put them on the checkout stand, and I, they were going to, the lady behind the counter is going to scan them. I said, uh, I said last night that the lady behind the counter was checking me out, but I think that that was, kind, I mean, she was, but she, <laughs> like, in a different, anyway. So, this stuff's on the counter, and it's going through. And she picks up the first one and she scans it through. And she sets it down and she says to me, we have handguns. I'm sorry, what? You have, you have what? Um, she takes the Xbox, we have handguns. Like, like in the aisles? You, like you have, or just behind there? Yeah, just, she said just behind here. I get, I was like, oh my gosh, the Safeway is selling handguns. Like this is the, usually they say, hey, do you want to donate like 30 cents to something? And now it's like, do you want a handgun? And I, I looked around, I was just so shocked. Anyway, I said, I'm sorry, you have handguns behind the counter and you're trying to sell them to, Safeway is trying to sell them to me? And she said, no, we have scan guns. Oh, and she meant the little gun thing that they can take so you can leave it in your cart and she'll scan it. I went, oh, okay, that, okay, that makes sense. Because I was going to say, and I said this out loud, I was going to say, that's very American of you. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> I noticed at this moment that my wallet was laying there and it had Canadian currency kind of f feathering out and my Canadian credit card in my hand. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> and she looked at me and she was so disgusted. She just shook her head. Didn't say another word to me until it was time to go. And she said, enjoy your drive back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, should I be showing my passport? I'm an American. I can say that, right? It's a joke, you know, because of the shooting. But what was I doing? I was spreading the aroma of Canada. <laughs> yes? This is what we mean, hopefully. Of course, the aroma of the kingdom of Jesus is far greater than any aroma that Canada has. And so when you come and you become part of the embassy of the kingdom and you gather every week, we spray you with the, we fill you up with the Jesus and he sends you out and he empowers you by his spirit to go out and stink the place up. And people stink the place up, man. I could tell you, I'm going to tell you a few th stories. Up on the mission campus uh, for our church, there's some, at the 
the elementary school just near there, uh, there were kids who were coming to the school who didn't have any, I mean, they didn't have any food. They didn't have, any cl- lot of cl- didn't have a lot of clothes. They were coming to school hungry. And some people at Mission Kansas campus were like, no, not, not on our watch. So they feed the kids. And then they started a program after school uh, that, that they ended up have, giving them a snack and they, and they do some games and they start tutoring them because the kids aren't really good students. A lo- number of them come from the indigenous populations up there. They've been doing this for three years. Kids come to this every week. They have a one-to-one volunteer ratio. There's like 30 to 40 kids, and there's 30 to 40 volunteers. Just welcome here. Whole place stinks like Jesus. It's kids who've been coming to our day camps, come to Faith in Christ. Their families are coming to the mission campus. They're going from the embassy out into the world, and they're bringing the aroma of Christ with them. Same thing's happening here in Abbotsford. We partner with EV Free Church now, but the way that that holds so we, to do sim, a similar thing after schools with kids from Godson Elementary largely, but the way that got started is that there were some ladies in our church who found out that some of the teachers in those schools were frustrated because their kids would come to school and they didn't have any shoes. I mean, they're barefoot. So some pe- ladies in our church were like, no. No, 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 not, not on our watch. We can get you shoes. And then the teachers were like, well, can you, can you also help with like coats? Because a lot of them don't have coats. Yeah, shoes, coats, how about socks? Yep, socks, got it. So they go out and they get basically orders from a few teachers in the, in the district. They send them to these ladies. The ladies then find out, okay, how, who can go shop for it? They go out and they shop for the stuff. They bring these clothes to the thing. They have a giveaway day and the kids come with their tears in their eyes Nobody ever has given them shoes before. Their mom and dads oftentimes are using all the money for drugs and all sorts of other things. Whole room smells like Jesus. We run a breakfast program. We, people from Northview. It's not an official program. We run a breakfast program at Alexander Elementary School because kids there don't have enough food to eat. Some volunteers just show up here. We store some of the food here. They pick it up. Use the key, pick it up, go down there, serve these kids breakfast. You ever met Dave Faulkner who's around here? He used to own a skate shop. Dave Faulkner is one of our facility guys around here. And if you ever meet him, you'll know it because he will be about as friendly to you as he possibly can be. Grab your hand, twist it down here. How you doing? <laughs> love him, love him to pieces. I first met him when he, was, he was, owned a skate shop downtown and I was asking him about skateboarding. How did you get in the skateboard thing? And he told me a little bit about it. And eventually, after a conversation, I was just really interested in skateboard. I was an older guy, I'd do skateboarding stuff, and like, why? He put his hand on my shoulder eventually, and he said, Jeff, it's not really about the skateboarding. You mean your shop? Your skate shop's not about the skateboarding? No, it's about the kids. So there's a guy who's using his business as a way for him to reach into the community among some of the more hard to reach kids in our community. Whole shop. Stinks like Jesus. The developer I know who's actually trying to bring his kingdom ethics that, he, that he's growing in as he comes to church, he's bringing that kingdom ethics to the development field that he's in. It's really hard because lots of people cut corners and lie and cheat, but I'm trying to, we're trying to do it in a different way and use the money for things that are up, get, give people in who can't afford some houses into houses that are actually of good quality and are gonna be valuable for them. It's different. It's a kingdom work. Those apartments smell like Jesus. 
I was at a soccer, sideways rain in January, right? Little groups around the field, all being coached by a coach. I looked around the field and I noticed that I recognized almost every coach from, this is the city soccer thing, every coach almost was from Northview. It's like, this is amazing. Whole place smells like Jesus. Healthy disciples bring the aroma of Jesus to their cities and then, and then often, often, not always, but often those cities eventually are transformed. That's what happened in the Roman world. So, so here, here's, here's, I told you I was coming to a conclusion at the very front. Here it is, the crescendo of the sermon. We exist, Northview exists, to make disciples through the multiplication of healthy local churches. We believe that multiplying healthy local churches is fundamental to seeing a gospel renewal go on in Canada and around the world, but primarily in Canada. And so our goal as a church, what are we doing from now until forever? Our goal as a church is to be the healthiest church we possibly can and then multiply that healthy church into other churches, into other neighborhoods so they can reach their communities and be transformed and people can persevere to the end and they can become healthy disciples in those places. And all of that happens because churches are healthy and present in their community. And where they're not, things go wonky. So look, a bullet point ways that you can be involved. Number one, uh, Try to be a healthier church. Try to be a healthier disciple. So the truth is, most of us get up and we walk out. Like, we just go to church and we leave and that's, that's, we're not involved. Some people have life stage issues that that's going on. Okay, fine. Did you know that we have a brunch, though, that happens starting at 9.45? You could come and eat food here. We had sausages and pancakes this morning. You could come and eat here and sit at a table. And Ezra will be there and you can understand what I'm talking about right? Or whoever else. And you'll be like, oh, but I like my... Fine, come along. Be a part of it. We have community groups that meet all over the place. We have places that you can serve at the church, ways you can get involved. Be involved. And then it's not just sticking here. We gather together to be edified and grow and get the Jesus filling us up. And then we go out and we scatter. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do out when I scatter. What are you doing now? Where has God placed you? Well, I'm just a receptionist. Spray the stink of Jesus in the reception room. Be where you are. Bloom while you're planted. Gather and scatter. And then let's, let's really realize, look, we have a moment right now where we can actually multiply these churches. Do you, do you realize we, Northview, are in a place that very few churches are in? You know, American churches aren't going to multiply churches in Canada Japanese churches aren't going to multiply churches in Canada. Canadian churches are, but not all Canadian churches because very few have the ability, the resources, but we do. Have you ever thought that maybe the entire history of this church has been leading up to this moment? That all of this, all of the growth, all of the things that have happened have been God, I'm going to, God saying, I'm going to invest all of this in you and I'm, here's the next step. The next step is you take this and you change a nation. As, as Mordecai said to Esther, listen, if you don't want to do it, God can do it through somebody of the other means, but maybe for just such a time as this, you were created. 
How do you do that? Listen, 50% of the budget that we have, 50% of our giving as, as a church goes to church planting. So if you give money to Northview, half of it goes to church planting. We built it into our budget. We don't have any choice about doing it. We're just going to do it. So if you want to be a part of it, just give faithfully, strategically. Last thing. I was contacted by this guy the other day who was asking, hey, I'm, I'm moving to this town in British Columbia, and we're wondering if there's going to be a church there. We've enjoyed our time at Northview. We're going to be moving there. Is, there. is there a place that we can go to church? And I was I, okay. I contacted a few friends of mine who live near the area, and I said, is there a church in this town? 150,000 people in this town. Is there a church in this area that they can go to? Three different friends, two pastors in the area, broadly, and one guy who's been involved in church planning all over North America, and I said, they said, no, I don't know of any. Can you guys ask your friends? So they did. They went and asked three friends, four friends each. They contacted me a little bit later. Word came back. None of them knew of a healthy, multiplying, gospel-preaching local church in a town of 150,000 people in Christian Canada. Are you kidding me? No, no, ought not be. But you know, we, we could fix that. We, we could fix it. Do you want to fix it? I want to fix it. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for your grace. I ask that you would press us forward in this vision idea. I really do believe that you laid it before us, Father, and us to lean into it with all of our ability and all of our passion, all of our money, all of our time. May we see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.